God, I just need help. Send me, I'll even take the devil's cousin right now. Just help me. Send me somebody. I don't care. You know, just that mentality of I need help. Well, when you get help, you put them in charge. And then when they get in charge, six months later, when you realize, oh, my Lord, I put the wrong person in charge. But now i got to go get them out, but I don't want to get them out because that's going to hurt their feelings. So I'm just going to leave them in charge and let them lead. So they're in charge for five years, but they're ineffective and you can't get them out because you're too tense on how to deal with an ineffective leader. So what I would like to do today is give you some strategies for leading effectively in the future. So that you don't find yourself against the eight ball going, well, in a moment of desperation, I asked that person to lead the youth ministry, or I put this person on my board, or, you know, I booked some meeting, and now I'm behind the eight ball, and I'm not being effective at all. I'm just, I'm frustrated. And I believe a lot of ministry frustration is because we raise up people that are in charge and not people who are effective. There is a big difference. There is a big difference from people on your team who are in charge versus people who are effective. Now, by effective, this is what I mean. You have to have some type of matrix to measure effectiveness. And a lot of times we, we get so spiritualized that we feel like to measure anything is evil. Because I'm not in it for numbers. I'm not in it for money. I'm not in it for people. Well, if you don't have numbers, money, and people, you're ineffective. As unspiritual as that sounds, you're ineffective. If you can't pay the light bill, you're ineffective. So money does matter. People do matter. I mean, it's, it's fun to preach, but if you preach to two people, it's not as effective as, as having a team of people that are helping drive the vision. So when I say effective... You're going to have to look at your area of ministry that you're, you're in, that God's placed you in. And you're going to have to draw a line on the wall. And you're going to have to set that, that measurement out there so at the end of the year you can measure it. Now, believe, And I'll, I'll say a little more about that in a minute. But, but we do have to know this. If you're not willing to have your ministry measured, you'll never be effective. If you're not willing to have somebody come in and, and put a matrix of measurement on your leadership, your giving, your vision, your mission, you're, you're probably never going to be effective. It's like the guy who's an archer, and you say, well, how good are you? And he goes, dude, I hit the bullseye every time. You're like, you're kidding me. I'm going to bring my bow and arrow over. We're going to shoot arrows together. You come over, and, and all of a sudden he goes, well, you goes, well, where's the bullseye? And he shoots it to the wall. And then he rolls over and he draws the bullseye around it. <laughs> that's easy to be effective, right? And I think a lot of times that's the way we lead. We start out in January and we get to December and go, well, I survived. I was effective. Draw a circle around December 31. That was an effective year. We didn't go broke. Nobody sued me and I'm still married to the same woman. Nobody on my staff cheated. Hallelujah. Nobody's hooked on porn. We won. Here we go. Year number two, you know? Uh, but it's a lot different when you get with your team and you set what the end of the year looks like and then you stroll into January and realize you've only accomplished 20%. It makes you really have to own up to how effective you are leading your mission. Because it is easy to preach the mission from the pulpit. It is a whole other ball game to lead that mission effectively. 
We can preach it all day long. Great Sunday, great crowd, great money. But at the end of the year, was our mission any more moved forward than when I began the year? So what I want to do in um, praying about how to, how to lay this out for you, I'm, I'm going to do it in, in a way that's called the creation model. Uh, in, in my study of leadership and what I think, I think the creation model of leadership opens it up. Now, it's going to come from the creation of the universe. In the seven days of creation, my belief, you don't have to believe this, but it's my opinion, I believe the book of Genesis lays the seed principle out for everything else that's coming in the kingdom. You get the seed of it in the book of Genesis. So in leadership, in the book of Genesis, I believe in the seven days of creation, I believe that God structured it in such a way that in every day, day one through seven, there are principles that God, strategies of the kingdom, that God put in every day, how many of you know he's a kingdom God, right? Pray thy kingdom come, he's a kingdom God. So in the kingdom, he's, he laid out strategies of effectiveness and he did it orderly. Meaning he knew day one and then thought, well, I was praying in the spirit, I'm going to jump to day four. Day one, then he did day two, then he did it very methodically. He did it very strategically, and I believe that in every day that God laid the universe that we're now on and the planet we walk on, I believe that God laid it out strategically, and in that strategy, we can gain leadership. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Now here's what, we're going to take the whole chapter in the next 30 minutes, so and I'm going to give you the seven strategies on the back of your card of effective leading. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface. Now, without going theological on you, here's at least what I know I can say. Uh, according to the, to the prophet Jeremiah, God cannot create things formless and void. He cannot, the Bible says. So what I would have to deduce if I was theo being a theologian is that in Genesis chapter 2, whatever it is that's formless and void, God didn't create it that way. But what that does tell me is that even though God did create the heavens and the earth, it is a possibility that chaos can ensue out of it. So what I do want you to know, no matter how spiritual you are as a leader... Like you walk in the room and people just fall out in the spirit. Like, you know, mosquitoes bite you and start speaking in tongues. You're that spiritual. I do want you to know that on the heels of your giant spirituality, chaos is about a half a day away. And everybody that's spiritual in ministry will say, we have had those chaos moments no matter how spiritual we felt. We come off a 21-day Daniel fast. So this is going to be the best year ever. And then by February, 32 people leave the church. What? I just came off a fast. And then the spiritual people, that's right, pastor, we fasted them out of the church. We got the devil out of here. Oh, that was $2,000. Bring the devil back. Come on. I'll deal with the devil. Bring that devil back in this house. Come on in, devil. Bring your money with you. All right, so 
So here's what I do know. I do know this, that God does not struggle with problems and chaos. But the way God handles the kingdom is in a very methodical way so that the kingdom is going from chaos to rest. And an effective leader is someone who understands how to take the chaos of God's sheep, of their personality issues, their financial issues, their marital issues, and can take that chaos and all of that chaos and can effectively lead those people to a place of rest. And it doesn't happen overnight. You don't take an entire congregation to rest overnight. It is a lifelong journey. From the day you start in ministry, chaos will start following you. People will come. They'll have different ideas. You should build. No, don't build. We should have a prayer night. No, don't. I can't come that late. We need to do 24-7 prayer. I can't even do that when we do a lock-in. There's no way. We should have pizza. I'm sick of pizza. Why can't Christians have better food than pizza? Chaos. Right? So God is always trying to take your, your leadership in your ministry from chaos. So right now, if there's chaos in your church, your ministry, low finances, I can't get any meetings, I... I'm just dealing with some people that are really frustrating me. I've got some people in some places. I don't know how to get them out. I've put the wrong people in, but there's some right people. I'm praying for right people. I really need help. Well, let me tell you, you are in a great place. Because when you're in a place where there's chaos, that's because God has positioned you as a leader to bring that to rest. And if you don't like chaos, you're in the wrong business. Because ministry is about coming into chaotic moments with the Spirit of God and bringing rest to the chaos. But a lot of times we don't bring rest to the chaos because I come in as a leader and I'm chaotic myself. And I'm in charge. And I try to stop the chaos with my in-chargeness. And it never works. It only causes more chaos. The church splits. They go across town, take 30 people with them. They gossip, they get tired of you. You thought you were a wonderful leader. You were like me and said, I cannot wait till I pastor. I was an idiot. Listen to this. I cannot wait until I pastor. My wife said, why? I said, because when I pastor, people will love me. I will not be rude. I will not be mean. I am sweet. I love everybody. I am, I'm like a Labrador Retriever. I took a personality test. Labrador Retriever beat me. I come running back, going, do it again. Do it again. Gossip. Oh, I love you. It doesn't, I'm a lab. It's going to, ministry is going to be wonderful until the first lady comes into my office in my first little stint of ministry, makes an appointment. Those are the good people. I need to talk with you, pastor. I'm thinking, This is going to be awesome. She's going to give an offering. She's going to help us build the new building. She's going to lead. She walked in and she said, I made an appointment to tell you you're the worst pastor I've ever had in my life. I'm thinking, the worst? I'm the worst pastor you've ever had. I've never even dropped the F-bomb. I'm the worst pastor? I mean, there's Hitler over here. There's Charles Manson over here. I'm the worst? Come on. It hurt my feelings. I got all puffy and like, man, I must be a terrible pastor. 
So I want to teach you now, over 20 years of pastoring, strategies to lead effectively. Number one, what did God do? When God saw the chaos, the first thing he did was in verse 3, God said, let there be light, and there was light. The first thing God did, number one on your card, write this down. You have to define your DNA. Do you know what the Bible teaches us in the New Testament about God? God is light. And in him there's no darkness. So what was the first thing God did to the problem? He infused his DNA into it. This is not the son he created. He infused himself into the equation. In other words, I am light. There's the chaos of darkness. And I'm going to infuse myself into this darkness. So what you have to do is to define your DNA. You're unique. God needs you to be you. Because you are the answer to the chaos where you are. And when you try to be me and I try to be you, we only make it more chaotic. You have to be content to define who you are. When I started out, I started out as Jimmy Swagger. Most of you don't know that. Yeah, yes. God, he's coming. He's coming back. Hell is hot. You're going to burn. The Bible says there's a devil out there. Oh, sha-la-la-la-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. There's a devil in hell who hates you. He doesn't love you. And after a while, all I got was a sore throat. I'm like, man, I don't know how he does it. Now, when I watched him, I cried. But when I watched myself back, I thought, I look like an idiot. I'm sweating everywhere, spitting everywhere. What am I doing? So then I decided to tone it down and be like my mother. She's very methodical. She's very Roman numeral one, A, B. Roman numeral two, A and B. And son, when you preach, you have to have a Roman numeral. If you don't have a Roman numeral, you don't have a sermon. And every A has to have a corresponding B. Yes, ma'am. Do you understand this? I think I do. Now, Roman numeral 2 has to correspond with, with 1. And also, you have to have another A and B. I got it. Next sermon. Roman numeral 1. Oh, God. Okay, I got an A. Let's see, no... Scratch that, Roman numeral one. I I was driving myself nuts trying to have notes like her. And then I was told by my friend, well, you want to preach better, you got to alliterate everything. It's all got to start with a P or an S. So I'm like, well, that's easy. That's easy. I mean, I could do that. So I sat down for my next sermon. Like, I'm going to pick the letter P. That sounds great. First, you've got to persevere. Oh, that's easy. Don't procrastinate. That's great. I got a sermon. Say, persevere, procrastinate. I got a P. Purpose. Yeah, purpose. You see, that's what he does. That's him. I hate it. I hate it because I sit there like I'm Googling words that start with the P. I'm not even asking Jesus for the words. I'm Googling P words, words that start with P. And I'm like, oh, that's just not me. 
And then the whole, you know, the whole change your pulpit around, put a nice little table with a bottle of water and a stool to sit on and chit-chat with people and a 60-inch TV on stage. I think, yes, I can do this. I know I can do this. And and then I'm just like, this is just not me. Well, you got to do series. If you don't do series, your church won't grow. I tried series. I was miserable. I'm like, man, i got to teach this subject again. God, I've already had two messages on this. How many? They want eight messages on prayer. My Lord, these people don't need to pray. Ugh, right? But you know what? I'm, I'm 52 now. You know what? I just like who God made me to be. I don't have to preach like anybody else. Decorate my stage like somebody else. If I'm Pentecostal, I'm Pentecostal. December of 2016, I wrote in my journal. I journal every night. I wrote in my journal. Girls, know this about your father. There are two things in my DNA that are meaningful to me. Relationship, discipleship. Once I understood that about myself, ministry became fun just who I am. I saw Randy play the piano years ago. I went home and started practicing. I can do that. Yeah, I know like nine chords. I can do this. I can pull that off. I sat down at the piano in my house with Randy Estelle as my image and I began to practice until the Holy Spirit said, what in my name are you doing? Did you see what this man accomplished? I could do that. I didn't call you to play piano. Get up off of that piano. I've called you to be a redneck southern preacher. Get off of it. You know what I mean? God God calls you to be who you are. Now the worst thing is when you're spirit-filled, but you're trying to grow your church by not being spirit-filled. When you believe in speaking in tongues, but you try to not speak in tongues, because I'd rather grow my church than be me. When when you really have who you are, you're a teacher, you love teaching, it's your God-given purpose, you're a five-fold ministry gift teacher, but you're trying to squeeze teaching into 28 minutes so your church will grow, your church is exploding and you're miserable because you can't get into 28 minutes what you need to say. You're not being the you that God created you to be, your DNA got lost in the chaos. You watched too many YouTube videos. You went to too many conferences. You read too many books on church growth. And now you're everything other than what God created you to be. Trying to grow a ministry. Trying to be who you aren't. Just be who you are. So one thing I love about this fellowship, we may not have 30,000 coming, but we're, we're spirit-led. We don't mind praying in tongues. We'll hang out and pray for you all night long if we need to. Just be comfortable to be who you are. If you wear a leisure suit, wear a leisure suit. If you wear skinny jeans and you're, you look like you're pregnant, be that. I mean, I mean, that is, right? But my jeans are in style. I mean, from the waist down, I got it going on. It, 
But, but the problem is when we're leading people, we want to turn people into us rather than helping them be who they are. God sends you people to be the people they're called to be. So number one, define your DNA. Day number two. Day number two. Verse 9. And God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so dry ground may appear. And God called the dry ground land and the water seas, and God saw that it was good. Day number two, don't write this down, but this is what God did. God took the waters and he separated the dry ground from the, from the uh, heavens. So he separated the heavens from the earth, and in the middle realm, he called the sky. So get this picture before we write it down. There is the heavens, there is the earth, and there's this realm out here, this empty, called the sky. Now my belief is, is that the sky is the separation boundary from heaven to earth. And I believe that's why in the New Testament, the Spirit came like a dove, because as we get in on into the days, God created the birds to rule the sky. So it was the dove of the Holy Spirit that connected heaven to earth. The anointing down to the earth. So day number two, write this. This is the next uh, strategy you have to have. You have to learn to merge the anointing with administration. And man, we Pentecostals are horrible at this. Because we divide the camps into two. The anointing camp. Mm. We just need to linger. We just need to soak. Oh, just soak in his presence. Soak, soak, soak. All we care about is just the spirit. Come on, the spirit. The spirit needs to come. Come, Holy Spirit. Oh, yes. Oh, we just let we just give the spirit all the room, all the time he needs, all the and I understand that. I agree with all of that. But do you know if you don't have any administrative skills, you will never lead effectively? And do you know that administration is not demonic, but it's godly? And do you know even Jesus said, sit them down in groups of 50 so I can feed them? Now, in every team, every ministry, you have to have the balance of the anointing with the administration. And you need to find out which one you are because you're one or the other. You're rarely both. You either flow in the land of Holy Ghost or you flow in the land of process. My gosh, turn me loose and just let the Holy Ghost have his way. Look, I know you want the Holy Ghost to have his way, but we got nursery people over here going nuts. I know you like to linger for two hours, but we got babies over here that need to get home and get in bed. I know you want big offerings, but if we don't have somebody over here to pay the taxes and the bills and to know what to do with all the legalities, we might go to prison. Right? And so what we have, rather than emerging of the anointing with administration, we have stupidity. I just want God to be in charge. No! He puts you in charge. He wants to work through you. And if you're over here on the anointing side, the, the feel-good, the subjective, the feelings, the let the spirit move, blow wind, blow wind. You better hire you somebody. You better find you somebody on this side that can pay the bills on time. 
that can make sure the tithe is getting paid, that can make sure all the employees are getting their paychecks, that can make sure you're compliant with all the regulations of 501c3s, that can make sure the mission team can get back home and not get arrested because their passports are wrong. Right? So day two, to be an effective leader, you've got to determine which side of the fence you're on and you've got to hire help on the other side. Now what we've done is we've called it denominationalism. The administrative side, hey, that's the Baptist Methodist. It's all about committees and boards and freedom. I got freedom over here. Oh, I'm free. I don't have a committee. It's just me and God. But have you ever noticed these people over here can't ever get their church past 150? While the churches we've often looked down our nose at is non-spirit-filled, they don't have the Holy Ghost. They, we even use words like they've compromised. Oh, they compromised. I would never compromise the gospel. No, 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 but you can only get 100 people. But the reason they're packing it out is they're administrative. And they can handle 5,000 people because they know what to do with them when they come in. Because Jesus said, I will give you talents according to your abilities. So rather than looking at it as anointed, not anointed, let's look at it as abilities. If I will increase my ability by bringing an admin person on, my home will increase, my ministry will increase. If I will increase my ability by bringing some Holy Spirit help into my processes, my ministry will increase. To remind me, have we prayed today? To remind me, hey, have we really taken time to press God on this decision? You need both of them. That's day number two. To be effective, you need to merge them both together. Now, here's what I want you to do. Number one, I want you to write under this. Give me the word that is your DNA. Can you define your DNA in one word? One word. That's hard to do. Like I, re- I define my DNA, one word, relationship. Everything I'm, I'm about, that's it. Number two, which side of the fence do you waver on more? The anointed, flow-free, organic, fly-by-the-seat-of-my-pants, I'll, 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 have a, I'll start a revival tomorrow. God told me to start a revival when tomorrow. Are you on that side or are you on the ministry? You need to figure it out. When you do, don't be frustrated. God made you that way. You, you, were, you were designed by God to be that way. Now go back home and find you some help. Day three. You learning something? All right, day three. Here's day three. Verse 12. Well, let's go to verse 11. God said, let the land sprout vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow seed. The seeds will then produce kinds of plants and trees from which they came, and that's what happened. The land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants, trees with seed-bearing fruit. Their seeds produced plants according, produced plants and trees of the same kind, and God saw it was good. Day three, you have to learn to lead with the seed. Lead with the seed. I'll be brief in explaining it. A lot of times, leaders preach to the problem. Well, people aren't giving, so I preach a giving sermon. Well, people don't serve, I preach a serving sermon. 
Well, people aren't praying. Let's preach a prayer sermon. And what we do is preach more to the problem rather than understanding this is a lifelong process here. You can't have a ministry just preaching to the problems. You have to plant the seeds of expectation. So that at Believer's Church, everything we do, from the opening of the door to the closing of the door, we are doing one thing very well every single week, and we plant the seeds over and over and over. It's not a sermon series, it's who we are. We are leading people to encounter Jesus through relationship and discipleship, and here's how you get involved. What are we doing? We are leading people to encounter Jesus through relationship and discipleship, and here's how you get involved. What are you doing? We are leading people to every single week It may get boring to some. People start saying, well, what is it? Well, we're leading people to encounter Jesus through relationship and discipleship. Over and over. Why? Because now that we've been there five years at mom and dad's church, we've gone from 95 people to almost 500 on Easter, averaging about 400. Why? Because we begin to plant seeds of what we wanted to see. Because if you don't plant seeds of what you want to reap, you'll only reap problems. You have to plant what you want to see so that I stand in January and go, well, what do I want to see by December of 2017? I want to see this, then I need to start planting these seeds. I need to plant those seeds of expectation. What do I want to see five years from now at Believer's Church? Do I still want to be on this same corner, doing in this same building? Where do I want to be? I begin to plant seeds. Now, when I say that, I don't mean I plant seeds by preaching it in a sermon. I plant seeds by building the culture. It's everywhere. It shows up in everything we do, on every letterhead, every email, every video, every announcement. We are constantly putting the seed of what our church is about. You cannot come to Believer's Church and have one doubt in your mind what we're about. If you've been there more than twice, you know what we're about. Constantly planting that seed. And a lot of times there are people on our team that we're leading, but they have no clue what you're about. They don't know the mission. They don't know, well, what are we evaluating at the end of the day? Just how many people came, what the offering was? And so I have to learn how to lead with the seed and ask yourself, is that showing up everywhere? And when I mean that, I mean the culture of the kind of ministry you you want to have. Are you leading with it? Day four. Day number four, it starts getting really interesting. Verse 14, God said, Let lights appear in the, in the sky to separate the day from the night and let them be signs to mark the seasons and the days. Day number four was the, was the beginning of seasons and times. It's where God put the sun in and he put the moon in. He said, let them govern the day and govern the night. Here is the leadership um, strategy in day four. You've got to learn to govern the seasons. Any preacher can govern summer and spring. Man, the fruit is ripe on the vine. The offerings are up. We were packed out. We're thinking about going to three services. I'm the anointing was so thick today. The altars were filled. I tell you, you can put you can put a dummy to lead during spring and summer. But you better make sure you have some chutzpah when leaves start falling off the tree. You better make sure God has spoken to you what you are doing when winter blows in. 
And everybody's staring at you like a Labrador retriever constipated. Raise your hands. Nobody's raising their hands. Offerings are down. Families have left. Some have moved. Gossip is kind of yin-yang around. Nobody thinks you're Mr. and Mrs. Wonderful anymore. It just is what it is. Familiarity has taken over. Death is is on an all-time high. Let me tell you what I know about the kingdom. In Him we live, in Him we move, and in Him we have our being. And God set it up that every ministry has seasons, times, and years. And if you cop an attitude every half year and get mean during the winter months, you're preaching mean sermons because everything's dying off and you're losing more people and you just ride an emotional roller coaster. When you cannot learn as a leader to govern the seasons, your emotional stability will do this. You just have to know in the winter months, baby, we buckle up, put the, put the parkas on and we keep on trekking our mission. And we keep planting seeds. And we keep preparing for spring and fall. We keep preparing for summer. In other words, we, and this is the way we built our team, we don't let you cop an attitude at Believer's Church. We don't let you gripe and complain. It's a culture of no griping and complaining. We are going somewhere. Yes, right now, crowds may be low. Crowds may have looked low. But I'm not evaluating my success on one Sunday morning. I'm not even evaluating myself over the last month. I'm evaluating myself on a five-year time frame. At the end of five years, if our offerings are still low, if we've not grown any, then I'll look at it and say, I think i got a problem. But I'm definitely not doing Sunday to Sunday to Sunday. Woo, we were up today. Oh, it's terrible. We had a great offering. We're going broke. You'll literally, this will be your ministry. The whole time. Dreading summer, oh, gloom, despair, crowds are low in the summer, offerings are low, people are on vacation, I don't know what we're going to do. Well, let me tell you, in the summer, don't do anything that costs money. Buckle down the hatches, honey, right? Just be smart about the seasons. Be smart about the seasons. Probably the best time to take up your mission offering is not the weekend of Christmas. Be smart about the seasons you're in. And if you'll be smart, how long Thirty? How long is Brother Don, where is he? There you are. How long are you, 30, 48 years here? 60 years, 90? 48. I'm just going to ask you one question. Do not lie. Just be gut level honest. Have you gone through seasons here? See, he can't even speak. Have you, Brother Don, have you ever had a winter? Thank you. Was it really cold? Thank you. Did you ever want to quit? Okay, hey, it doesn't matter. But you've been through the seasons. And you know why he's been here 48 years? Because he led effectively during the seasons that he didn't like. He kept his back strong, and he probably had to have his wife try to talk him off the ledge a few times. But folks, when you can have a man stand up and say, I've been in the same place 48 years, that's incredible. You have to learn to govern the seasons. So right now, ask yourself, what season is your ministry in right now? Your youth ministry, your children's ministry, your worship ministry, what season is it in? Whatever it's in, always be planting the seed for the next season to come. Don't get stuck in the season you are. Day number five. 
Verse 20, God said, let the waters swarm, the fish life, the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created sea creatures of every kind that live through the scurries and swarms of the water and every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Day five, God made sea creatures and birds. And uh, this is is, uh, the fifth strategy, whales don't fly. Whales don't fly. There are some things, no matter how much you pray over it, it's just never going to happen because whales do not fly. So this is the strategy. Rather than trying to get your whale to fly, why don't you just stick with what you're good at? Mike Manuel came to my church years ago. I quit counting scriptures at 78. I was like, who, who knows 78 scriptures? I don't, he, he probably went to 500. I know three. John 3.16 that holds, you know. And I just was like, I, I was like, how does any human do that? But that's not what I'm good at. Now I can tell you Galatians, uh, the second chapter down the bottom corner left, it's highlighted in pink. I can tell you that. Right? Because I've been reading my Bible since 1989. I've not missed one day of reading the Word since 1989 when my wife died. Not one day since 1989 to last night, I've read my Bible every single day I've been on this planet. And do you know what that does? It just gives me life because I, I know what I'm good at. I'm not good at reciting scriptures. I'm not good at taking notes. I'm not good at playing the piano. But you know what I am good at? I'm good at just telling my story and leading people to Jesus. I'm good at sitting in a restaurant and asking the woman, tell me about your favorite tattoo. She says, well, let me, well, don't take your clothes off. Just maybe pick the one on your ankle. I don't know. And then she tells me about her tattoo, and then I give her an extra big tip, and I tell her she's loved, and that's what I'm good at. I'm good at loving people. I'm good at making you feel like you can accomplish the entire world. I'm good at letting you be you and not trying to turn you into me. Because I've learned it's futile to try to make a whale fly. So Randy, thank you for playing piano. Thank you, Brother Don. They'd have to, I mean, we just had rock and roll at one of our conferences. I mean, God was just, band was, ah, new music, hill song. We're singing hill song at the fellowship. Hallelujah. Elevation. And Brother Don just gets up with a microphone right at the end of it. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I mean I was just like brother's comfortable in himself thank you I never forgot it you know what that tells me brother Don you're not trying to impress anybody you're being who God made you to be If we could just get all of us to just be who God made us to be. Mike keeps quoting scriptures. You keep singing. Randy keeps playing. Dad keeps telling us to give offerings. Last night I gave a, I had a dollar. I got a dollar out. Like I'm giving a dollar. I gave Phil, my friend, a dollar. I said, here, I'll loan you a dollar. I have my dollar. My dad had to get up and use his gift. You ought to plant a seed for the growth of your church. And I'm looking at a dollar like, yeah, my church ain't going to grow with a dollar, <laughs> did I not? 
He's just like, you ought to plant a seed for your church. Give, give, give for the future of your church. And I'm like, I have a dollar future. I don't want a dollar. I handed my dollar to Phil and said, you give two. You can pay me later. <laughs> I took out a 20. Do you know why I took out a 20? Not because I was on a guilt trip. Not because I felt bad. Because dad used his gift. And it inspired me. When you use your gift, you inspire other people. When you stop being who God made you to be because you're nervous about what people will think or the, the, like Randy said, the culture's not going that way. So you try to change everything. And your church is a whale church, but you're trying to turn it into a bird church. The whales don't fly. Be who God made you to be. Be happy about it because God put you in the town you're in. Uh, Pastor Joe, God called you to America. No matter how many churches are here, no matter how many evangelists are here, for some reason he spoke to a woman in London, England and put a passion in her heart to come here. Why? Because obviously there's some DNA in you for this dark country that we need. And if she, and if, like last night... When you just opened up and said, well, I'm just going to tell you some personal stories because that's what God told me. I was like, yes. And she started talking about her two-year-old. I start crying. I just start tearing up because I have four daughters. I just start tearing up all because she was just being who God made her to be. Whales don't fly. Day six. And God said, let us make man, verse 26, human beings, man in our image to be like us. They'll reign over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. Day six, humans were created. Here is your leadership principle. There's unity. Unity is multiplication. If you want your ministry to multiply, you better stay in unity. You better deal with criticism quickly, negativity quickly, naysayers quickly, and not tolerate anything that will come to be divisive. And you don't have to do that mean but, but to grow a ministry and multiply, everybody on your team needs to be bone of bone and flesh of flesh. We need to be all going the same way for the same reason. Uh, I've got a team of folks that work with me at home, and I've, I've been feeling like for the last year we're supposed to do communion weekly. But you know, when you're Pentecostal, weekly communion is kind of Catholic. Catholic. But I kept feeling like weekly communion, so I, we took it to the staff, and I said, I was out on vacation praying, and the Lord said, you know, I was praying about our mission statement, leading people to encounter Jesus. And I said, Lord, people aren't encountering you. I said, we just get transfer growth, people who like our church, who are coming, they're hungry for spirit-filled, they're just hopping in from other churches. We don't really see a lot of people getting saved yet. So I was going to change the mission statement instead of leading people to encounter Jesus, uh, you know, helping other church people like our church better. That's a win-win. <laughs> but uh, in that, I felt the Lord say, if you want people to encounter me, why don't, why don't you really make your service more about me in everything you do? So we started weekly communion. You would think weekly communion in a Pentecostal service, and we got some kickback from staff, like, oh, that's going to take away from the worship. It's going to maybe, but we talked about it. We prayed about it. At the end of the day, we all came back to a unified decision. Jesus being glorified is more important than a set list. Jesus being glorified is more important than how long our sermon is. And we're going to do it. So we introduced weekly communion. It has been flawless. 
It has been the most meaningful thing for our body. We have first-time guests come who will walk up the communion tables. We do before communion. We, do, uh, we lead people in prayers of salvation. We have people off to the side praying for healing. And God did a supernatural thing. Why? Because we all got unified behind the purpose. Now, we admitted there may be challenges, but we're unified behind it. So in your ministries at home, don't shy away from the challenges, but just make sure that everybody on your team is unified because when you get in unity, you'll multiply. Your church will multiply. And the last one is day seven. It's found in Genesis chapter two. I won't read it, but you know, on the seventh day, God rested. And this is the strategy for day seven. Seventh strategy, it's rest. Rest. God doesn't want you frustrated leading people. Burned out, high blood pressure, tense, hating ministry. He wants you to be at a place of rest. But the only way you're going to get to rest is you're going to have to deal with the six days before it to get to rest. And I wrote this in my note here. I said, what's your end result and how will you measure it? What is your God's end result was rest. Everything he was doing in the Bible was to push us to rest. It was to push us to Jesus that would bring us the true rest. Everything he did, every story in the Bible is pushing us to that rest moment. Let me just leave you with this question. What in your ministry are you measuring to show you're successful? What do you measure? What is your rest word? More people, better offerings, what are you measuring? So here they are to be an effective leader. I'll read them to you again. If you want to come to a place of rest in your ministry, to not be frustrated, to be successful as a leader. You've got to define your DNA and your purpose. You were born for such a time as this. You've got to merge anointing with administration. It takes both to be effective. You like to lead with the seed. You need to plant the culture you want to see rather than preaching to the problem you see. You need to learn to govern the seasons. Don't jump ship, become critical, frustrated, control your emotions, live out your plan, not other people's emotions. Day five, whales don't fly. Be good at who you are. Be great at one thing. Day six, unity is multiplication of thought, language, culture, and purpose. And day seven, the end result is that you would be a ministry that's multiplying and at rest. I hope that helped you. Bless you.